Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. You don't think that it's time that somebody cared enough to have a dream? Why are you getting so upset? This is not about you. Yes, it is. You are a human affront to all women, and I am a woman. At some point, you got to decide for yourself who you are. Can't let nobody make that decision for you. How do you go about getting an exorcism? I beg your pardon? Hi, this is Mark Kermode. Thanks for downloading this Kermode on Film podcast. This week we have a real treat for you, an extended interview with Nick Park as Wallace and Gromit celebrate their 30th birthday. The interview was recorded at the St George's in Bristol, where we were about to go on stage for a celebration of Wallace and Gromit. So sit back and enjoy my conversation with the legendary animator Nick Park. I'm not sure whether that's a wonderful thought or a terrifying thought that Wallace and Gromit are 30 years old. Can you remember how you first envisaged those characters? Because obviously they've changed a lot over the years, but how did they first come to you? Well, it goes back, I mean, uh, uh, you know, it depends how far one wants to go back. Because <laughs> <laughs> they, they have, like, <coughs> germs of ideas in different formations. But um, uh, it was really when I was at the National Film and TV School in Beaconsfield doing my uh, post-grad course that I was searching for, uh, you know, what is going to be my big project in my graduation film. And, um, and uh, I guess, it, you know, I was always sketching. That's the, the key, really. I'm always sketching. I'm a big fan of all sorts of stuff on TV and cinema, you know, Tintin and comic books. Uh, and I was, I was really... I was thinking about this last night, really, how I... I was really searching for that, the project that really suited, you know, my style of, uh, which wasn't really developed then, but stop motion animation mm. and, and adventure, uh, comedy, um, thriller, you know, all kind of the stuff I loved as a kid, but I could also, you know, watch now as an adult. And um, and uh, finally, I, you know, came up with this. Uh, yeah, sorry, this is maybe a long, longer version That's of it. That's fine, we have time. That's <laughs> the joy of podcasts. But, uh, I, while at my first year at film school, but around 1980, I, I got a student um, like placement on The Dark Crystal. Wow. And, and uh, I don't know if I told you that before. No, I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah, I was there for about three weeks, making, mainly making coffee, tea. For the, <laughs> so for I thought you could say making models, making <laughs> coffee. <laughs> I, was, I was just put on coffee road you know, for the special effects crew. And uh, but it's great because I got to, and in between doing that, I could just wander around and see Jim Henson and Frank Oz at work on this amazing film that no one had seen the likes of before. And uh, but I was so inspired by what the effects people were doing, yeah. And that's what sort of solidified this idea. I had this idea about a guy who builds a rocket, and the idea was that he builds it in the basement of his house, and that was kind of the joke, really, <laughs> that he built it, a bit stupid. And, uh, and it's he needed... still a good gag. <laughs> After all these years, it's still a good gag. <laughs> still do. 
I don't know, lad. It's like no cheese I've ever tasted. Let's try another spot. Obviously, we now know the archetypal figure of Gromit. Did Gromit ever talk? Uh, not, not, no, no. He, well, he was intended to in a in a fashion. He was he was intended to because uh, early drawings I have of him, uh, he has a mouth, and the, you know, the, one of the early tests that I did as well, um, he has a sort of mouth. But but um, <coughs> I actually recorded a voice as well with the the guy who's sadly not with us anymore, uh, Peter Hawkins, who. Did the voice of uh, uh, the wooden tops and Spotty Dog? Do you remember yeah, that? Yeah, Spotty rah, Dog. Rah, 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 rah. And, and uh, Bill and Bed and all that, all that kind of thing. And he did a whole. He, did, he went right through the story doing Gromit, mimicking Wallace in that dog like fashion. Uh, but then he come doing one of the first shots in a grand hotel. I found it much easier not to have a mouth. And I discovered he could say ev- everything with his eyes. So suddenly he, he was no longer this extrovert or animal like. Character was more human suddenly and, and thoughtful, and, and uh, so I, dr- I dropped the voice sadly. Well, not, no, not sadly at no, all, because no. you know, thereby is born one of the great silent mm. characters of cinema. Mm. And I look at that and I think, well, everyone think, you know, you think Buster Keaton, you think mm. Chaplin, you think mm. all the great silent slapstick yes. heroes. Is that is that what was in your mind? Yes, I, I, I guess I was always, you know, brought up on all of that. You know, when we were kids, you'd often get shows showing all those. Buster Keaton films, wouldn't you? And, and all the it was your daily diet of stuff on the TV. But the yeah, with Wallace and Gromit, I found that as you say, when as soon as Gromit didn't have a mouth, he, he became a good, you know, duo. You know, part of the duo of Wallace, the eccentric inventor, and who who uh, made lots of ridiculous decisions and, and the silent <laughs> put upon dog, you know, who wasn't sure if he was a dog or a servant or, you know, his introvertness was a good contrast. There's, um, as we were, as Linda and I were going through the clips for tonight, we were watching the eyebrows mm-hmm. and Linda said, our dog, Martha, <laughs> does exactly that expression. And I yeah. thought, oh, no, that's right. Oh, so right. It, how much doggy research? Do you have a dog? I've never had a dog. You've never no, had a dog? I've never had one. <laughs> Nick! I, I mean, I've watched people's dogs. I like dogs, but um, I, we, <laughs> we, I think my... No, we've never, we have had other pets, but never a dog. Don't you think that's odd that you, yeah. the creator of the most famous dog on the planet, has never had a dog? <laughs> yeah, and it you probably is, yeah. and you do know that if you had yeah. a dog and you sat yeah. and watched one of your things on television, the dog would sit there next to you and it would do the eyebrows, looking disparagingly yeah. at you, as if is that right? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so tell us about that eyebrow expression thing. How, at what point did you realise that everything could be said with the top half of his? Okay, because the rest of his head's the same all that's, the time. That's right. It was it was pure uh, kind of fortuitous uh, practicality, really, as well. That uh, I was doing a scene in it, it, this scene took me forever. I was at film school, uh, a student, and I was on doing it more or less single-handedly. And I was I, there was this scene where Gromit is uh, Wallace is using Gromit as a trestle, like legs, <laughs> to hold up the door that he's sawing through when he's building the rocket. And uh, it was there I, I found when I was, I was reaching in, you know, how you have to have every frame moving Gromit a little bit. And then I just found I just can't, I just can't sculpt a mouth of him. It was just too far to reach, it was too tricky. And 
as he was looking very put out, and uh, I just. I was just experimenting, you know, uh, winging it really, and they just had him lift his brow and roll his eyes, and and in that moment, Gromit was born, really. Wow! So, so it is. It was a happy accident, and it was born entirely of necessity. Yeah, yeah, and I saw people's reaction to that. So, that's what's always kind of impressed me, really, with this kind of animation is that it lends itself to sort of subtlety and nuance, and and you can do very sort of human. The more you do subtle stuff, the, the more it seems to impress people. Let me out! You're not going to turn me into dog meat. Dog meat. Don't worry, Wendelin. I'm on my way. How important was it to you getting the right voice for Wallace and how did that come about? Uh, oh, yeah, yes, because that's been a major part of the whole Wallace and Gromit story, of course, with Peter Salas. Um, I mean, Peter really, as a student, you know, he was my first choice, and he was already very famous for Last of the Summer Wine on BBC, one of the longest, I think, the longest-running yeah. series ever, I think, isn't it? Um, and he played sort of the middle guy um, with uh, Compo and... Um, Compo is it Clegg? Yeah, he's, Peter was called Clegg. Clegg, and there's Compo, Clegg, and not lofty. Look at that. We've got a, we've got a combined yeah. age in this room yeah. of about two hundred, and yeah. none of us can remember yeah. that anyway. But the yes. other Compo, Clegg, and the other one. Yeah, sorry. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yes, I was after a sort of mild-mannered sounding, and and um, and so I I I was a, a student who didn't really know much about approaching real actors, and we had about fifty quid. <laughs> to spend on the film, and um, and I, I don't think Peter wanted any money. Actually, he just did it as a favour for a student. And um, he came in for a morning, recorded. I loved what he did. I, I was actually surprised. I thought he had a northern accent because of Last of the yeah, yeah. So I was really surprised. So well, he, he he first of all sent me a like a cassette tape. He did a test for me, reading it at home in his living room, and, it, and he sounded like a. A, a newsreader from the BBC, you know, back in the 70s. And so I was really surprised about that. But anyway, I thought, well, great that he's interested. Let's give it a go. And he, and he sort of created this voice for Wallace on the spot, really. And, and uh, I kept asking him, could you exaggerate, grommet, you know, the, the, the syllables a bit and, um, and cheese and things like that. <laughs> um, and, uh, and that really informed the, the sculpt of Wallace's face, really. Because I, I did start the animation before we recorded. Right. And, uh, and it was one, once I got the voice in, he, he um, said things like, We've forgotten the crackers. <laughs> or the cheese, grommet. <laughs> and, and suddenly, Wallace is, you can tell in the granddad, sometimes his face is quite straight. Right. Uh, and, and then suddenly he goes into this giant coat hanger mouth. And, and that was because I'd suddenly got that voice in from Peter Sellers. Tell me about your use of music, because obviously the films are, you know, as I said, they, they, they owe a debt to silent cinema, mm. and they also, they're, they're, they're scored almost like musicals, which again is mm. a big throwback. So tell me about how your musical collaborations work. Oh, yeah, well, um, I, I was very fortunate to meet Julian Knott at, at film school. We were at the same film school. And um, well, it's interesting, actually, that there was, a, there was actually another very good music composition student who was set up to do the music. For, he was all willing and keen to do it, and he phoned me sort of a couple of weeks beforehand, or maybe a month beforehand, 
saying, I'm really sorry, but I really, something's gone wrong with, I, I can't fit Grande out into my diary, and I'm going to have to back out. But I know a really good student who's uh, really up and coming, and, wow. and uh, his name's Julian Knott, and I'm sure he'd be wonderful for your film. <laughs> so I was like, uh, uh, you know, at the time, uh, the guy who... Uh, who had to walk away was like the student to go to, so I was like, oh, okay. But then, uh, what a happy uh, coincidence. You know, How he's the guy who turned down the Beatles. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, um, yeah so uh, Julian really um, looked at the visuals, were pretty much there when he saw it. And uh, we, you know, it's obviously to, to do with the tone of the film and the northern. We talked about the northernness of, you know, the, and so I think brass band mm -hmm. and came to mind for Julian, and, and the fact that it was a kind of a the tone being a, a it's not exactly a space movie, but a, <laughs> but it's a picnic movie, I guess. <laughs> just happens to be on the moon. <laughs> just happens to be on the moon. Yeah, so it's all kind of understated. And, um, and have you continued that relationship with him all the way through? Yeah, Julian has done all all of the Wallace and Gromit films. Yeah. And do you talk about the score together? I mean, like, can you remember when he first played you the main theme? Um, yeah, I mean, it's always difficult as well, because Julian, uh, I think, back then always played on piano. Yeah. I think he still does, really. So uh, for me, as a, am really quite a non-musician, you know. <laughs> you don't play anything? I don't play anything. I've not really got music in my blood, you know. Um, I love music. I love a lot of different types of music, but, but uh, in terms of how to respond and comment on it but it, it's all seemed to fall into place you know Julian's intuition seemed pretty good really and uh, so he would sit at the piano and go ding 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 yeah. and you go okay yeah. and he go it's gonna be a brass band yeah he'd be saying it'd be nothing like this <laughs> <laughs> play it so I was like mm, all right but the idea of a brass band sounded good um, you know there's a famous yeah. story that when um, which is probably apocryphal that when John Williams first played Steven Spielberg, Jaws, yeah. he went, -dum, and Steven Spielberg went, yeah, but no, what have you actually got? And he went, no, no, no that's, I'm sure it's yeah, not right. true, but it's just a lovely story about him sitting down and going, -dum. With his voice. Yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. really, but other than that, what? The way everybody does it. Yeah. So, Grand Day Out, you know, became hugely mm. well received did you have any idea at that point that 30 years later mm. you, Wallace and Gromit's you know life would still be and there'd be feature films there'd be all the other shorts and oh, no I mean I, I hoped for some success with it I, I mean I hope I, all the way through because it's you know from the beginning to the end I made you know I made half of it at Ardman it took me seven years to complete uh, uh, you know because uh, halfway through making it Peter Lord and Dave Sproxton called me up. I'd already met them uh, 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 in various uh, incidents, but uh, and they came. Uh, sorry, they came to the film school to lecture and uh, etc. And, and they eventually called me and said, because um, I was resisting. I thought if I go work for Ardman, I'd, I'd, I'll be like an assistant animator for years and years. And and I had this vision of I was an alter, you know. And, so, and eventually they <laughs> they said, why don't you come and work for us part time because we really need animators. And uh, we'll help you make your film, like behind a curtain in the corner, you know, sort of thing. <laughs> um, so I, I, that was a great. I was I was really getting fed up of living in London without any money. So, yeah. so it was a breath of fresh air, and I love Bristol. 
And uh, so, but because I was part time on it, you know, I was I was helping out on things like the Peter Gabriel sledgehammer video and morph and all, and commercials, all, all kinds of things. What did you do on the sledgehammer video? Because everybody knows that video off by heart. Which bit was you? Um, I, 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 uh, well, the the bit I'm known for is the chickens dancing, the, the plucked chicken, the oven ready chickens dancing. Yeah. Um, which was uh, <laughs> which is a razor head. Yeah, it is. Yeah, absolutely. I've always thought there's a, there's a the very thin line between you and David Lynch, <laughs> early experimental work. <laughs> well, it, well, that was the the whole thing was the brainchild of Peter Gable and the, the the director Steve Johnson, who did the video for Talking Heads, The Road to Nowhere. Video. Yeah, yeah. And um, so it's full of that kind of. Uh, it, in a way, it's like taking what people really only did at art school and making it into more of a kind of commercial success. Yeah. And, into the commercial arena and, and then he you know we were very fortunate that they called up and asked us to do a video because we were hankering for something like that to do i'm sandra and i'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use linkedin jobs linkedin has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me in a given month over 70% of linkedin users don't visit other leading job sites so if you're not looking on linkedin you'll miss out on great candidates like sandra start hiring professionals like a professional post your free job on linkedin.com/people today Burrow's furniture is built for the way you live from ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for the award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. When uh, Wallace and Gromit Curse of the Wear Rabbit came out, and back then um, there was a programme called The Culture Show on the BBC, and I gave that film my Best Cinematography Award because I thought it was oh, the yeah. best-looking film of that year. Oh, and the yeah. thing that I loved, and I've always loved this yeah. about, yeah. I mean, all your animations, but yeah. they are fantastically cinematic, yeah. even the ones that are technically short films that most people have seen on television. You've always thought in terms of cinema, haven't you? Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um I think from the earliest time, and, and um, I mean, uh, it, I've always loved, and that's partly what spurred me on to to make films in a way, because I, you know, I grew up with all these lovely animated things on TV, you know, the, which were highly inspiring. The, you know, um, Pogel's Wood and, and um, Oliver Bosgay, yeah. Peter Fermin, all that kind of stuff. But I wanted to, in a way, I was intrigued by the kind of puppet nature of, of things, but. I love the way stop motion took you into a world more more immersed, and you could not just look at the stage; you could look the other way, and, and the camera can uh, make the world seem very uh, immersive and three-dimensional. And, um, but also at film school too. I, I mean, um, I really value that that education because it was about cinema; it was about storytelling and editing and cinematography. Uh, the we weren't really taught animation. That, that's what some a few animation students came with really and um, the, the rest we kind of knew how to animate or we were learning it yeah. but what we really learned was was how to use the camera how to tell a story and um, and uh, yeah so the cinematic side uh, 
it has always been, uh, I guess, the, uh, you know, the, um, yeah, the thing I felt was new, you know, um, to animation in this country anyway. You want to confess? I want to talk to you about the beast. <laughs> Everything you need to know is in this book. None wrestling. No, 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 I meant this one. The silent and the ladies at night as the moon rises into the sky. Spare yeah. me the salmon, Vicar. Just tell me how I kill him. Um, I mean it. To kill such a creature would require nerves of steel and a bullet. A bullet? A bullet? A bu oh. What kind of bullet? A bullet of pure gold. Am I right in thinking that Early Man was the first solo director credit on a feature for you? It was the first. It was the first film that you directed. First feature film that you directed solely on your oh, own. Oh, Early Man. Yeah. Yes, yes, that is correct. Yeah, yeah it is. Yeah. And was yeah. that yeah. because you were such mm. a collaborative person? Was that in any way? Was it liberating or was it difficult? It, it, it was difficult. Yes, because um, with the first uh, with Chicken Run, uh, which I co-directed with Peter Lord and then Steve Box on Curse of the Were Rabbit. Um, uh, um, we were following the more the Disney model, which is they tend to put two people on, yeah. on animated films because there's such a giant amount of work <laughs> to do every day, you know. Um, so I was a bit crazy taking it on myself, to be honest. I loved it. Yeah. Oh, thanks. Thanks. I mean, it's, I don't know anything about football, but yeah, I laughed yeah. all the way yes. through it. I don't know anything about football. <laughs> <laughs> In a way that I felt that kind of gave me a bit of a. Well, I did. I learned a lot, and I was surrounded by people who, uh, writer and storyboard guys, and everybody contributed. But um, yeah, it, it was basically um, yeah. Foot, how was football in you know, cavemen and football? How was football invented? And, would you yeah. would you do another feature on your own again, or did you like the collaboration thing? Um, I think just the size of. You know, just the sheer amount of work—it's—it's it, it's tricky to take something that big on yourself. But you have to try to change the structure. And so I had like two animation directors um, who were working for me. Um, uh, whereas uh, when I, when you're working, um, you know, like co-directing, you actually get more time on the floor yeah. on, on the, with with the, each set. Where, whereas I was, I was spending more time in the editing room and, and as shots came in and restory and storyboarding and things like that, um, so it's a, it's a bit of a, uh, a different sort of spread of, of where you put your effort really. What are your favourite? Because one of the things watching your animations is they are f they are profoundly cine literate and you know everyone's mm. talked about. Feathers McGraw mm. and the inspiration of mm. uh, you know Rebecca and where those things come from. Mm. Do you sit at home in your downtime and watch movies? Yeah, yeah, I do. I, I love watching movies. Do you got the pictures? Um, well, I, I did. I did. I, I not a lot, um, um, but uh, I think with streaming and everything, there's a, there's so many kind of available now at your fingertips. What was um, the last film you saw in the cinema? Gosh, uh, oh, 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 that's a good one. 
Um, I think it was Sean the Sheep Farmageddon. Really? <laughs> <laughs> he was at the premiere. Right? <laughs> oh, I just, honestly, I just grinned and laughed oh. from beginning to end in oh. Farmageddon. And the lovely thing about it was... Mm. that I sat in a room of really cynical critics, which we all get a little bit embittered. And, and I think that everything that's going on in the world at the moment oh, is right. not making yes. everybody in the best possible. Yeah. And for yeah. 90 minutes, we yeah. were all children again. Right. And everyone was laughing yeah. and giggling and smiling. And it was the oh. friendliest screening I have been in. in I, ju- I oh, just nice to hear, loved yeah. it. Oh, it's, that, that's really encouraging. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, yes. But okay, but other than yeah. your own films, yeah. other oh, than the yeah. Arbor stuff, yes. what was the last film you saw in the cinema? Yes. I, know, I don't get out much. <laughs> um, oh gosh, we well, it's a good question. I don't, do you know? It's been a while, and um, what happens as well is, you know, being in the Oscars and the Baftas, you get sent all these DVDs to vote. So <laughs> you spend a solid three months like watching films back to back and, and uh, in your own home, uh, but. Uh, so you can vote. You it know, is so. definitely true that as a BAFTA, because I'm a BAFTA member yeah, as well, one yeah. of the best times of the year is about now yeah, yeah, because yeah. the discs start coming in yeah. of the contenders and you just think, that's it, that's that's the next few yeah. weeks, you know, what are we going to watch? Yes. Oh, yeah, well, we've got some fantastic yeah. unreleased know, stuff. You feel really spoiled, don't you? Because it's kind of Well, you are really spoiled. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, feel it. Yeah. You are. It's a hugely privileged <laughs> yeah. position to be in. But it is lovely being able yes. to just binge on the award stuff. Yeah, and I, I don't want that to stop me going to the... Go Going to the cinema and, and um, watching films, you know, in, in, I, I still can't think what the last film I saw was in, in the cinema, but, but uh, yeah. Uh, All right, well, let me ask you another yeah. thing. Nick, who is recording this, mm-hmm. and I made a mm-hmm. series together of BBC4 called Secrets of Cinema, and, and the first, uh, one of the first episodes we did was about heist movies. And there was more press coverage of the fact that we had got the wrong trousers intercut with sequences from Mission Impossible and Refifi yeah. than there was about anything else in the series. God. And the series was really, really well received, which I was delighted yeah, about. Yeah, it was wonderful. But, I watched it. Yeah. Well, thank you. But so many people let, said mm. the best thing about this programme is that it's got wrong trousers next door to Mission Impossible <laughs> and Refifi. And yeah. I do think that though that the way in which the whole uh, ethos of what you're doing it is mm. it does it has now become part of modern cinema history it's incredible i, I mean I, I have to pinch myself and and I, I, yeah i was very honored that you included the wrong trousers in 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 your in your series um but you know when i occasionally i might see comments on youtube and stuff underneath you know where clips come up and just to see how uh, people are citing it as uh, you know, in terms of, and I think to myself, what did we do as well? How did we do that? It's got this heist scene plus this chase scene, which people also <laughs> put up there as the best, one of the best chase scenes. Right, French Connection bullet yeah. and that. <laughs> yeah. That's it. But both in a half hour film. <laughs> and, and so, uh, yeah. It, it, and I remember worrying about whether that would work. You know, whether, you know, the, the way, because the heist is, as I saw, it's kind of quite slow burn and then, and then suddenly we kind of drop everything and do a mad Tom and Jerry style, Buster Keaton style cha- train chase through the house. And, and I remember it was quite, um, I just wanted it to go as fast as possible. So, uh, and we had no computers, we just did everything by hand. And um, 
it, it was quite a, when I think back we didn't know what we were doing and, but we just went for it <laughs> I mean I think even now watching that chase sequence the two breathtaking mm. things about it are firstly it is a breathless chase sequence mm. and secondly there's a part of your brain that's going just a little bit just a little you know you know that oh, every se- it's, oh, right, the, it's it, every, the, no yeah. because it's astonishing yes. to get that mm. sense of pace into something which mm. is made at a yes. snail's pace yes yes and it, it was, and, and yet we tried to, uh, you were absolutely right, and yet cause it was whizzing along at such a speed, um, we, uh, you know, we were trying to keep, you know, they call it go motion, you yeah. know, where you get blurred, but the, the stop motion, you know, Gromit on the train, or Wallace, the Feathers McGraw, had to be animated one frame at a time, but then each, each time we took the frame, we pushed the whole train along, with a long exposure yeah. to get, but that had to be consistent. But because it was hand done, it was erratic. And <laughs> whereas a computer might have smoothed it all out, and, you know. So, but it was it was crazy, um, yeah, and we couldn't make. You know, the set was like twenty feet long, like a Tom and Jerry kind of background, <laughs> uh, and we kept repeating furniture like Tom and Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but we, each shot could only be a second and a half. Uh, because uh, the set would run out. <laughs> and, and Gromit was putting track down so quick, uh, we worked it out that in order for him to put a, a piece of track down and then he would be moving so fast, he'd need to put another one down, um, otherwise he'd trip over himself. Yeah. He had to put one down every three frames. So his arm was replaced one, you know, there were three arms made yeah. constantly being replaced. In terms of cultural iconography, how did the Simpsons thing happen? Oh, yeah. It came out of the blue, really. Uh, you know, a, a letter, or I think it was, and um, just um, somebody asking if I would take part in the Simpsons. What, just a letter from the Simpsons? From the producer, yeah. That said, Dear Nick Park, we are the Simpsons. <laughs> yes. Um, is that that's seriously how it came about? Yeah. It wasn't months of negotiation. They just said, would you like to be part of The yes. Simpsons? And, and I knew at the time it, that was like one of the best accolades one could have because so many people have appeared in The Simpsons. And, um, so I, I just said, yes, sure, what, whatever. <laughs> and, uh, and what was involved in it for you, from your end? Well, they sent a script. It was only like one line or something. And uh, I think they sent me a couple of pages of the script uh, to show what happens. And there was, I think, uh, I'm not sure if I knew that they were going to do a, like a stop motion. A whole sequence. Section. Uh, I think I'd seen this. I don't know. I don't remember seeing that bit, actually. But maybe that surprised me. I can't remember. But they had my line, which was... I'd never understood what it was about, really, but this, I think it's funny. <laughs> and uh, I actually recorded it over the uh, ISDN line uh, in Bristol, uh, in a studio in Bristol, <laughs> to Los Angeles. And just did a few takes, and they seemed happy. And then a few months later, I saw it. So it wasn't until the episode was finished that you realised that there was a whole section about that's kind of a riff on I think so yeah because I don't because it was quite a long piece isn't it it's, it's it's a, a, yeah it's a couple of minutes long yeah. Minutes, yeah and uh, I had no idea what it was going to look like but uh, 
I, no, I don't remember seeing that in the script. So, uh, were you um, pleased? Yeah, it was great. It was, very, it was hilarious. And, um, they, and the sort of spoof of Wallace and Gromit and uh, and sort of English dramas, I guess. Um, Mrs. Mrs. Penny Farthing. <laughs> That's right. Yes. <laughs> Please do come in for some scones and cheese. <laughs> crumble, crumble. Where has that silly dog got to? Oh my! Good luck, Mr. Park. There'd be no shame in losing to you. Oh, that's very sweet of you. Thank you for saying so. Ah! <laughs> no worries. I'll just stick them back on. I'm more clay than man now. Do you think... Let me ask you this. This is, mm. this is a genuinely honest mm. question, OK? Mm-hmm. How many Oscars do you have? Four. OK. Mm-hmm. And... Wallace and Gromit is this kind of this now this national institution, okay, yeah. and and you mm-hmm. brought this into mm-hmm. existence out of out of but nothing, okay, mm-hmm. and every time I've met you and you know uh, Linda and I were with mm-hmm. you at the Shetland Film Festival quite recently, mm-hmm. which was just lovely. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Every time I've met you, you genuinely seem to be, on the one hand, slightly baffled by your success, mm-hmm. and on the other hand, you're very very self-deprecating about it, which is, which is part mm-hmm. and parcel mm-hmm. of the whole kind of Wallace and Gromit. Yes. Okay. Right. Is this Mm-hmm. Is this genuine? Is there a part of you that goes home and goes, "Hey, I'm powerful and I rule"? <laughs> this is all just an act. <laughs> yeah, yes. uh, I, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think there's part of me that does love it all. You know, that that I've got, I've got a side of me that uh, loves the awards and you know, and and, and everything. But but there's a part of me that l- would like to hide away as well. That's probably the stronger side, and and, and that doesn't feel comfortable in fr- in the limelight, and um, and wishes I, I wish I was a lot more re- relaxed and you know and, and able to articulate things better and, and all that kind of thing. But um, but I, in a way, it suits me the way it's the characters that have, that are famous, and. Um, and, and I, I, I uh, can I can go and uh, shopping and stuff and not be uh, hassled or anything. You don't get recognised in the street. Uh, not that often, actually. I I, uh, I do. I sometimes get. I've never said this to anyone, but I, I've been mistaken a couple of times for uh, Jason Watkins. <laughs> <laughs> I was at I was at uh, LAX actually on my way back from a few months ago from a publicity thing. And um, I noticed a guy looking at me across the airport lounge and uh, eventually came up to me and I, I thought he was going to say something about Wallace and Gromit. And he just said, um, I just wanted to say that W1 is one of the funniest things I've seen. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I didn't know quite what that was at the time and I just went, thanks. <laughs> and, uh, and he walked off before I could explain. So. <laughs> OK, so... <laughs> is there a? Is there a? Can you say anything? About, are there any future Wallace and Gromit projects that you can tell us anything about? Um, no. I mean, yes. I mean, you set the are. internet on fire the other day by suggesting that you were talking on the radio and you said, "Oh, oh I'm ha- having some other ideas," and then every, the internet went mad. Oh, really? Yeah. Yes, you're not. You're not internet savvy. Was that the Today program? It was oh, the Today I have, program. I haven't even listened to that yet, but I've had a few texts about it. Okay. Uh, um, uh, yeah, I mean, we are definitely. I'm, I'm kicking around some ideas at the moment, but the problem is that it's, it's a because it's always like a couple of years off. Yeah. It's just, I don't, I can't, and also the nature of the idea, I feel like 
would spoil it if I said anything. Yeah. Um, okay. So there is something, but you're not saying what? Yes, because it would spoil a twist, you see, if I said anything. That's perfectly fine, and I think we should absolutely yes. keep it like but that. I'm very excited to be back with those two again, yeah. Brilliant. Mm. Nick, congratulations on, mm. you know, an, an extraordinary anniversary, mm. and uh, I just look forward uh, to whatever's coming in the future. Yeah, oh, thanks, Mark. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for listening to this Kermit on Film podcast. I hope you enjoyed my cracking conversation with Nick Park. If you like the podcast, remember to subscribe, tell your friends, and keep watching the skies. And if you'd like to hear a version of this podcast, but with something a little bit extra, and find out how you can support the podcast, then go to our Patreon page. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium.